0: When AJ was in the, in the hospital, she wanted to take me out to the garden a couple of days when I was in the middle there. And I literally said to her, um, no. I said, if I'm leaving this hospital, I will walk outside once and I'm not coming back in. I said, that's the motivation that I have to get there. And it was that mindset that, that took place. I fought tooth and nail like every single day in therapy and everything else. To get to that point, so when I was being wheeled out, I didn't want to be wheeled out of the hospital. I was getting wheeled downstairs, um, and they—I was supposed to walk out with a walker. Now, I knew they were going to do something for me in the staff to, you know, a little celebration when I was leaving. I had no understanding of what it actually was because you Um, weren't supposed to be leaving. You were. Oh no, I wasn't supposed to leave the hospital ever. Yeah. You were going to go to a morgue. That was, that was the way that you'd leave. Oh yeah. 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 I was gonna, I was gonna go out in a body bag. Right. I mean, that was less than a 1% chance of survival. I was going out in a body bag. So, um, when they actually found that I was going to be able to get, start getting better. Um, that's when, you know, the the Rocky moment was about was taking place. And, um, getting wheeled out that elevator door opened and the uh, the staff because nobody was allowed in the hospital remember that the staff were lining the hallways and I was and they were cheering and it was like t- you know tears are rolling down my face of just gratitude for each and every person from the maintenance crew the maids that would clean my room um, You know, they, they, they were all there they were crying which was so great because they didn't anticipate me walking out um, and wheeling into the atrium where there were hundreds of people in the atrium standing up cheering. I looked up to the second floor and they were looking over on the second floor and everybody was around it was so crazy. Um, and then there were a couple hundred people outside of my friends and then every news media outlet that was out there, uh, which was kind of crazy. And I'm sitting there and I looked at AJ and my sister and just said, grab an arm, I'm walking out. I fist bumped every one of my doctors that were in that, in that circle. And, and I acknowledged every single one of them before I got out of that chair.
1: Hi, I'm Chris Whiteout. Welcome to Living It, the podcast where we join experts in the experience of being human. Be bold, say yes to adventure, say yes to living it. Hello and welcome to Chris Whitehall Living It, where I talk with experts in the experience of being human, people who've taken the risk to realize their dreams and live fully. Today, we have Greg Garfield, who was patient zero with COVID in LA, went through an absolutely incredible time period, but is back now, I mean, literally his doctors said that he had a 1% chance of living, but is now living as fully as anyone that I know. So, Greg, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's been a, it's a pleasure, an absolute pleasure and an honor. This is amazing. So, Patient Zero, I mean, some of us were hearing little bits and pieces about COVID. You probably were in that same situation where there's this thing, but, you know, we've heard about so many other different you know, potential pandemics. No, none of us really knew anything about the Spanish flu, other than it happened, but didn't know how big it became, or that there was still that potential. I think we feel sort of immune in some ways, don't we? In terms of in terms of medicine, in terms of modern science, that these things happen, but they're not going to happen to us. Oh yeah, but it happened to you. And so what were you thinking?
0: Cause you were, you were in Valgardena, right? When, when this happened? Yeah. So we, we got to Valgardena. Um We do annual trips every year to, uh, to Europe with just a whole group of guys. Um, we flew there and I get a phone call from AJ at the time was my girlfriend. Now my fiance. Um, and she's turned this into something good already. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, what adversity creates, you know, opportunity. <laughs> there you go. Let's go with that. Um, we're sitting there and she calls me and says, um, do you know about this thing called the, you know, the, the coronavirus? And at that particular time, we heard about it a little. Um, it wasn't publicized by any means. And frankly, we weren't too afraid of things because in our lifetime, it's like we didn't know of pandemics or what have you. And, you know, we're all healthy guys, we're athletes, we're, you know, we're outdoors and skiing. We had no worries whatsoever. And, uh, you know, come to find out that three days into getting there when we were skiing, we all started coming down with flu-like symptoms, all 13 of us.
1: Where did you, can, can you track it back to where you might have caught it? Did you catch it on the plane? Did you catch it? Was, was there somebody who was kind of the patient zero there in your area who spread it to you? Because they, they did do the forensics on these oftentimes, right?
0: Right. But we didn't know at that particular time, um, we weren't, or all 13 guys, we stayed at a boutique hotel. So all 13 guys were not around a lot of other people. We ate at the same table for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, so we weren't around those people, a lot of like random people. However, the first run of the day, We go into a 50 person tram, nose to nose, elbow to elbow. Uh, That was really the only thought that we had of where we could have contracted it. Um, So it's, I believe we, it's not confirmed, but I believe that's where we got it in the tram on our, on our first day or, or second day, what have you.
1: Well, that's, that's what we heard here too, right? Wasn't that, that was a similar story in Sun Valley where there was a guy from Seattle who had come to Sun Valley to ski and got on a gondola or whatever. And that kind of started this fire. And, and, and it really is a firestorm in a lot of ways where it was so communicable that it spread so quickly. That was the difference between this and your regular flu. What happened? Because you said you felt a little bit sick. You felt sick in your life before And you've gotten better. How did, how was this
0: different? How did it play out differently? So I have what you call a hyperimmune system and it's the best of the best. Anytime I would get sick, my lifetime, 24 to 48 hours later, I was fine. Um, What happened was it was something called cytokine storm that it turned my hyperimmune system against me and tried, you know, and tried to kill me. But when I was getting, you know, when I was coming down with the, with the flu, I was three days in skiing. Um, I laid up in my room, I had a fever and what have you. I laid up in my room to try to get better. And I was planning when I, when I w- scheduling, I was coming home on the first, I was supposed to leave. That's March 1st, 2020. I was supposed to come home on March 1st, 2020 and leave on March 4th for a helicopter skiing trip. So I, so granted I was in Europe, um, but I wanted to get better for that trip you know this the snow conditions were good, not fantastic at, at that particular time. Um, so I'm like, all right, I'll miss a couple of days here skiing to get better for you know, a couple of days later. And it started getting progressively worse, not too bad. It was one day it was it was on, one day it was a little bit lighter, and so forth. So three of our friends from Sweden went home, and one of the guys checked into the hospital and was sent home with the flu. So when he called us, we're like, oh, we have the flu. So we really weren't too concerned. Um, One of our friends, when we were going back, leaving uh, from Munich the night before we were about to leave, he checked into the hospital with double pneumonia and he missed our flight. So subsequently, when I was on the plane, we got a text message because I was coming back to LA. We got a text message that he tested positive for COVID. We're already in flight three quarters of the way through the flight. And so, what is what
1: goes through your mind then? Because one, you you've been on an airplane. This is this is a tube, right? This is everybody's breathing the same air, and you know they had shut down. They had people who were quarantined. Eventually, on cruise ships, and so, what's the thought for you when this guy, when you find out this guy tests positive, and it might well not be the flu? it might be this COVID thing, which you probably still didn't know a ton about
0: though. No, we knew nothing about it. And we didn't understand the the, the level of severity that was to come. Uh, it was like, uh-oh, you know, we potentially are exposed to this. And first thing I did when I got home, um, I landed, I called my doctor. Well, first I called my fiance um, to not be at home when I got there. Um, So I didn't want to expose anybody. So I called my doctor. Um, He called the CDC who contacted me because at that particular point, there was no testing. And they sent a hazmat guy to my house to pick me up and take me to their office and get tested. So 24 hours later, uh, I tested positive. Um, What was the testing? Because some, we know what the testing was like
1: later on right because we're picking a swab up our nose kind of thing how different was it for you initially when they didn't have sort of that universal
0: kind of testing mechanism so it was exactly the same thing it was the you know the nostrils and testing but i will tell you this they stuck it farther up my nose and tickled my brain it was the most uncomfortable thing i've been tested hundreds of times uh literally subsequently when Um, I was in the hospital and then I got out and you know throughout last few years anytime we get the sniffles we're testing six ways from Sunday but it was so much more intense at that particular point because they didn't they didn't know what was going on they didn't know what was they were doing they were you know they they said go as far as you possibly can and it was not comfortable at all (laughs) it was not a good experience tears in your eyes oh yeah yeah oh yeah oh yeah it was,
1: it was a little crazy. How long did it take for that test to come back? Because there was a longer, a longer lag period too. At that, point. It was 24 hours. Oh, it was 24 hours. Okay. So they, they were able to bring that back pretty quickly. So then you knew, but the,
0: the, 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 um, symptoms hadn't really mat- manifested yet. Had they? Well, yeah, it, I mean, it did manifest, but it wasn't, so, it wasn't super severe, um, as what I thought, so I was. I, I had a phone call from one of my buddies, and he was asking me, uh, like, where did you get tested and who came, and I was so I had so much brain fog, and I was like, I don't know, and and every question was, I I don't know, and I'm not a person that doesn't know specifics, <laughs> truly, and he is looking at me going, um, you're messed up, dude. It's like you need to go to the hospital and i'm like i'm okay i you know i'm not the biggest fan of hospitals um you know you don't get better in a hospital is my was my mentality and got a mutual friend on the phone that was a, a retired surgeon and he was asking questions and i was like okay I, i'm i'm doing good and my buddy on the phone was like no you're fucked up it's like you you, you this isn't you and, and I that said, didn't okay, occur to you. There wasn't a part of you that's gone. I was whacked out of my brain. I mean, I, I had no concept of of pro or con, you know, what my best interests were. I just didn't want to go out of the, go to the hospital. I was home. I was in a in a comfortable environment. but uh my buddy, uh my buddy's good friend, who is now a dear friend of mine, uh, was calling around to the hospitals to get me into a place, uh potentially. And the part that was so crazy was none of these major hospitals would take a COVID patient. They said, go to the, go to the emergency room. Well, if you go to the emergency room, I'm COVID positive. There was no joke. There was no question of that. So if I go to the hospital and and the emergency room, I infect everybody. Just irresponsible. Yeah. That that wasn't an option. Right. So um, I mean, we contacted UCLA, USC, uh, St. John's, Um, we contacted, uh, um, uh, uh, Cedar Sinai. Nobody was quote unquote ready for a COVID patient. And, uh, I live in studio city. Um, so Burbank St. Joe's is 10 minutes away from my house. And they were, they said, well, we're ready. We have an inflow room. We're ready for him and we could take him. So, um, my buddy calls me back and, um, tells me all this information. And I'm like, you know what, let me, if it gets worse overnight, I'll call you first thing in the morning. Um and we'll go for it. And I literally I couldn't breathe. In the morning or or during this the This was like at four o'clock in the morning. Um, I just couldn't catch my breath. And I'm like, this is this is ridiculous. I called him up. I'm like, let's do it. And he called the fire department, who sent an ambulance in hazmat gear, and you know, the rest is history. I took a picture of my feet in the ambulance and sent it to AJ and said I'm on my way to the hospital I'll give you a buzz later and you know she's asleep at five 30 in the morning or whatever it was um and you know it's the rest is kind of history um I get to the hospital they put me in an inflow room uh that was on March 5th 2020 um is that all hazmat and everything 100% 100%, yeah, no. 100%. A hundred percent. Okay. Oh yeah. Yes. So it was in an inflow room. And what's so crazy about an inflow room, if I get critical and, you know, code out whatever it was, and they're not geared up, it takes 15 minutes for them to gear up to come in. So it was, it was really kind of spooky you know i'm sitting in there and you know got all these people walking in with shields and you know, ma- you know masks and and gowns and gloves and blah 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 again i still didn't know what i was up for wow yeah and, and so when did things start to really go south
1: because i mean you said that the symptoms had manifested in like a flu-like system
0: symptoms but then you couldn't breathe then you go to the hospital Yeah. And what happens? So two days later, this was now on March 7th, my doctor comes in and says to me, he goes, your oxygen saturation is so low, which I don't know what that means. He goes, we have to intubate you. And I went, what's that? They said, well, we have to put a breathing tube in you and we'll sedate you and so forth. So I started calling some of my dearest friends who are in the medical field. And I'm like, what does this mean? And one of my buddies literally says, hand the phone to the doctor, who's my pulmonologist. And then he hands the phone back to me and he goes, you have to do it. And I'm like, okay, well, let's go with this. And I turned to one of the nurses and I truly said, I'm really afraid. I don't want to die. And she looks at me and goes, I promise you, you won't die. And I'm like, okay, let's do this. And I sent t- a text to AJ and said, I'm going to be offline for a couple days. <laughs> so none of us really knew what this was. And well then did you know? so yeah. I went to sleep for
1: 31 days. 31 days. So, So they induced you, you were in an induced coma, right? for 31 days. Do you remember what your saturation your your oxygen saturation rate was or oh god i
0: i think it was maybe in the 70s i don't really? i don't, know. I don't yeah. know it was it was bad. Um it, it was pretty bad um and i from that point um i had everything under the sun happen to me. I mean i had uh, MRSA, I had sepsis, I had a pulmonary embolism. I had, uh, four different times, a collapsed lung. Um, I had, uh, I was packed in ice with 104 plus fever. Um, I had compl- I w- a complete organ failure. Where I was put on dialysis, 24 hour dialysis, I had blood clots throughout my body. Um, and I was touching go on a daily basis. I coded four different
1: times. But none of which you were actually aware of because you were in a coma. Yeah, correct. So then correct. 31 days later, when you come out of the coma, you, you have no idea what's happened. You have no idea that you've just missed more than a month, that it's gone from the beginning of March to the beginning of April. Uh, what? How does that conversation happen who do you have the conversation with is it a nurse is it a doctor is it who tells you this is what
0: happened to you so it's kind of like the rumple theory so it's like you go to sleep and the world changed because i the world wasn't shut down the world didn't understand what was going on with this pandemic it wasn't even a pandemic yet it was just this virus was going was going rampant and it um the, the world shut down around march 17th mm-hmm. we thought it was gonna be like two weeks yeah perfect sort of correct um so everything kind of shut down and you know i wake up I, what's interesting is i didn't just snap out of it and wake up i had something called um icu psychosis which i went so many different thoughts went through my head and in dreams and well i thought it was a dream um of, uh, I thought I was in Manhattan Beach. I thought I was in Vegas. I thought I was in uh, Utah at a friend's house. Um, I thought that um, I had, I was at my friend's house in one of his guest rooms and my hospital bed, I was in a hospital bed and my night nurse was there and he let a couple of his friends in and they killed my best friend and my goddaughter. And I thought that, Um, I had my my phone was tapped and I had cameras in my room um, so I couldn't tell anybody I couldn't talk to AJ or my sister to let them know what was going on and I was in fear for their lives and I was absolutely whacked out of my mind Um, and at that particular point there wasn't anybody that was allowed in the hospitals then so um, any
1: guess. I mean, there were there were doctors, nobody. nurses. Yeah, no, yeah.
0: no visitors were allowed in the hospital. Right. What they did do was they did allow my sister and AJ to come in around my birthday, on my 54th birthday. And um Which was when? April 16th.
1: April 16th. Okay. So this is this
0: is a month and a half in. Correct. You. Okay. So they show up and I whisper in AJ's ear, how's Allison? Who's my friend's wife? And she goes, fine like, fine, but, you know, her husband's dead, her her daughter's dead. Um, And I, I'm like, fine. And she says, well, I go, what about Richard and, and Hannah? They go, well, I talked to them this morning. And I literally snapped out of it at that particular moment. And it was like, okay, I had a little bit more of a realization of what's going on in life. Um, Now, granted, I wake up, and my fingers are all black. A um, couple of my toes are black, so they died, similar to like frostbite, something like that. Because what had happened with me was I was put on a drug called levofed, which are pressors that forces your the blood to your vital organs for survival because all, I had complete organ failure, and it compromises your extremities. Well, they were more worried about saving my life than saving my fingers, um, which they made a good choice.
1: Which happened and, to a few people in COVID, but not that many, right? It's not super
0: prevalent. No, correct, absolutely. Um, so, I had no understanding of what literally was going on, and I figured that you know it—it's you know blood flow was was a challenge, and maybe we can save my fingers and what have you. But I just um, you know I, I I with my family there. It changed everything for me. And it was a little bit of, of more normalcy and, um, uh, and hope, um, to really kind of say, okay, let's get out of this. And then, and I'm, I'm on the road to recovery. I'm here.
1: What happens to you in 31 days? I mean, 31 days of being sick, you went, I mean, sick, like deathly sick, but it's also 31 days. Of lying in a bed. So you said your fingers went black, your toes went black. You must have lost all of the muscle in your body. I mean,
0: everything atrophies so quickly, right? I lost 50 pounds. 50 pounds. Okay. So I went in at 197. I came out at 147. Okay. I looked like a kid from Auschwitz. <laughs> It
1: It is amazing, isn't it? I mean, I remember being in the hospital and it was the first time that I lifted weights in the hospital and I went to kind of like stretch out and put my hand behind my shoulder and went, that, that doesn't feel like me. Like there, there's suddenly,
0: it, it was all bone and it's, it's, it's crazy. It's somebody else's body in a lot of ways. Oh, I mean, for me, I, I'm, I carry a lot of muscle on my body. I had none. Like I've always you know, been known for a guy that has like bigger arms and I just had, I, I mean, I was a toothpick. I couldn't, I, I had to learn how to walk again. I had to learn how to chew, swallow. I had, I had uh swallowing therapy. I couldn't drink regular water. I had, I had to have thickened water uh, because of aspiration issues. What goes through your mind when, when they're, when
1: they're the thickened water when they're teaching you how to swallow i mean the the teaching you how to walk okay maybe you can kind of understand that because you've been in bed and you probably don't feel all that great but it's like who am i
0: is is that the question um i just wanted to get back to where i was and it was all about for me I was pushing so f- much forward. I wanted to have not even th- regular water. I just wanted to have sparkling water because it was, the, you know, the the stuff that was happening to me with, um, you know, tubes down my throat and I was had a scratchy throat and I just wanted to give to give myself a little bit more relief, and they wouldn't give me any of that stuff. So I was kind of fighting through it um, and doing whatever I could to get to that bit of normalcy to get to swallow regular water or possibly get sparkling water or what have you. Um, I had to, you know, eat ice chips um, because I couldn't have any stuff, anything in my mouth to swallow. Um, It was just really, it was freaky. It was really freaky. And this is
1: kind of an interesting thing when you get to such a critical place in your health, is that and it sounds like this was something that was similar for me that it sounds like similar to you after my accident after my skiing accident was that you sort of accept the difficulties along the way that maybe in your in your previous life you might have you might have rebelled against these things like okay we're going to teach you how to swallow and you're like i know how to swallow but this is i need to get better and if you tell me that i need to learn how to swallow I will need, I will learn how to swallow. Is that the way that your mind worked and had it ever worked
0: like that before? I was never exposed to that option before or that challenge before. Um, So I didn't know what I was capable of. Uh, Looking back, look, we we never experienced this much, this level of adversity. But at the same time, I've always been somebody that that give me a challenge, I'll meet the challenge. And I didn't really understand that I was even challenged. It was like what I needed to do. I just needed to get back to where I was in a normal format. Uh, so I just wanted to do whatever it took to get there. And I'm pretty impatient in that regard. It's like working out. It's like you always, or, or, or being an athlete, you always wanted to get to your goal of winning, but winning was normal for me. Yeah. You had to get to a baseline. Yeah. So it's like, when you, I have a goal, we meet our goals. It's not, it's not a question. So that's how my mind always worked. Now, granted, you have setbacks, you have frustration, all that stuff. Um, When I had to learn how to walk, when my therapist would come in, three steps was like running a marathon for me, literally three steps. And I would, you know, I have to get back in bed. And I had a trach. I had all the tubes coming out of my body. I had a chest tube that was in me because of the collapsed lung, but I would be able to get up and walk three steps. It was not only was it hard physically, it, uh, it was hard internally. You know, the muscles were one thing, but breathing was a whole different concept. And, and the breathing part,
1: you said you lost your fingers, but you your lungs have come back
0: to normal, come back to what they were before, right? 100%. Internally, 100%. I mean, from complete organ failure to everything else, it was, I was two days shy of going on what they call ECMO. I was maxed out on the ventilator is um, uh, and iron lung, so it ends up taking all the blood out of your body, and and you start oxygenating yourself outside of your body, and then they put it back in. Um, that's it's a very difficult task to survive from that that process. Um, there's a seventy percent mortality rate day one if you go on if you go on a ventilator, so. That part, so that that's crazy to me. And none of us had knew that going in, uh, but there was no, there was obviously no option to what needed to get done. Um, So two days shy of, of going on ECMO, everything started to turn in favor of me and I started recovering and they're like, okay, well, whoa, everything's slowly getting better. And this is wonderful. And then that's when I, you know, I came out of sedation at that particular point.
1: For me, one of the biggest frustrations, one of the biggest, like like the physical stuff, it's kind of like I could handle the physical stuff. Even if I was starting over, I mean, like you're talking about the three steps and you go, like for me, it was it was literally doing a transfer. It was getting out of my wheelchair like onto one of the PT mats that you think that's not a big deal. That shouldn't be a big deal, but I couldn't do it. but I could understand that. My worst moment in the hospital, was I had a urinary tract infection and my, and my uh, temperature spiked, you know, temperature spiked to 103, 104, whatever you're talking about, same kind of thing. And they packed me in ice. And that was the thing that I couldn't control for you. Were there those things that you couldn't control? Like, like your progress in a lot of ways seems linear sometimes, right? Where you, you put in the work and you get better. But this is you put in the work and all of a sudden there's a diversion and, and you go, I can't control that. That for me was the, was was the only day in the hospital that I actually cried after breaking my back. And did you have, did you have those kinds of frustrations, those pitfalls
0: along the way? And what did you do? So I was trying, I, I was, um, i was up for being admitted to uh the the rehab facility upstairs you have to be invited to get up there um and i looked at the doctor and i just said um the the therapist uh, that the head doctor therapist over there and i said i promise you i won't let you down um and and he he fortunately welcomed me with open arms to get up there however i was coughing so profusely that i burst my, I burst my lung the fourth time while I was awake. And then they had to put, what did that feel like? It's the most, the most painful thing I have ever experienced in my life. I mean, I've had, look, I've had shoulder dislocations where I've got screws in my shoulder. I've got ACL reconstruction from skiing accidents. Um, it, It didn't compare at all to this. It's like a um, bomb going off in your, in your chest cavity kind of thing. And, and a compl- and completely being knifed in, in your rib cage. Um, and then not being able to breathe in that, catching your breath and so forth. So they had to inflate my lung and put a chest tube in, which was the size of a harpoon, which crazy. And it set me back a week and a half, uh, from getting back up to getting up to my therapy for rehab. And, um, I still wasn't able to walk more than three steps, and it was so frustrating for me. And I'm not—I'm not that person that gives up. But I kicked my—I kicked my therapist out multiple times because I wasn't ready. Uh, I was exhausted. Um, you know, I was at—I was at zero capacity for drive on a couple of my days. Where I just wanted to just rest and just get my wits about me and regroup and then hit it the next day. Well, I was done going to the bathroom in a freaking bedpan. <laughs> so I did not want to take, excuse my friend a shit in a bedpan one more time. And I, li- I looked at AJ and she was allowed in the hospital at that point because uh, they made. Is this May by by now? No, this or... was this was just after my birthday because they saw when she was there. They saw what my how my mind changed. And my mindset went to uh progress versus regress when I had my loved one there. That they will they did everything they could to get me out of that hospital. And you know, your mind's your mind's a, a an incredible asset when it's on point for recovery. Um, so she was allowed a visitor pass to come into the hospital and she was sitting across from me and I looked at her and I go, get my therapist back in here, my physical therapist. And she goes, why? I go, I want to walk to the bathroom. Well, she's like, you're struggling with three steps. That's 15 steps. I go get them in here. I go get them in here. I'm doing this and I made it. (laughs) Okay. Okay so this is the incentive this is this was the the, incentive the carrot at the end of the gold pot at the end of the rainbow was the toilet (laughs) doesn't get any more glamorous than that yeah it's it's, it ain't pretty but it worked
1: (laughs) it's it's amazing what that incentive what do you tell yourself when you're going when you're at zero when you're a guy who who can muscle through things you're you're strong what do you tell yourself when you just can't?
0: This goes to the concept of bad moments versus bad days. Through this process, I truly never had a bad day. I had some serious bad moments. And you allow yourself to be human. Um, it's we're our own worst enemies in a lot of cases and you know this probably better than anybody when going through our struggles of of we well, are in the hospital you, you 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 may never get out in that respect that was what i dealt with um literally alive much less whether it's walking whether it's you know get being in a wheelchair whatever that is um we, I allowed myself to feel, and I knew it wasn't the end for me by any means. I had to regroup and it was it was again, being an athlete uh, my whole life and being coached. I had all those things that that was told to me growing up in my life um that failure's not an option. However, take a minute. Take a minute to regroup, and I came back that next moment. Whether it would be 24 hours later, 15 minutes later, whatever it was, and I, physically I was destroyed. Mentally, I wasn't. But that's what your mind overcomes your physical nature.
1: It really does. It's it's interesting. I. I've had to look back. I feel like I was at my my strongest, my most powerful that I've ever been in my life after my accident. And part of that was because I had to be right there. Your life is, is black and white. There aren't these shades of gray that there are in the rest of our lives. It's sort of like either you are successful in that moment. And that moment for me was, and, and it's interesting because you're talking about it too, is is resisting the urge to panic. And and it might be more than an urge. It's an instinct, right? It's an instinct to panic. It's an instinct to quit. But if you quit, then that can be it. And I remember I was, I was uh, doing some snorkeling at one point and, and it was kind of a bad day and, and I was getting pushed toward this cliff. And you know, I don't have, I don't have my legs to kick with as well. And I was kind of getting pushed toward this cliff and had water in my mask and I'm on the on the surface and thinking, okay, you need to save yourself here. Was that the thought of like you need they're doctors, they're nurses, they're therapists, but you need to save yourself. What did how did that, how did
0: that grab you? it's kind of interesting that you say that and I never really gave it much thought. Um, but failure wasn't an option and it's, and I say that not only for myself because what gave me so much hope and determination was my village, the people around me, the love that I was getting. Um, Not only do I not want to fail for myself, but I didn't want to fail for the people around me that had so much faith in me and so much love that someone gave me. And it's, uh, I wanted to be there for them to, again, whether it's, I've always been that person that helps others, but to help others and to help the my loved ones i didn't want to fail because i didn't want to let them down and i it it's it's something that was innate in me that it just pushed me that extra step that 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 extra two steps three steps whatever it was to get to where i needed to be to get out of that freaking hospital
1: For them, which is really interesting, right? Because all of these people who are coming to the hospital are coming for you and they're coming to support you, but the tables get completely turned that you're serving them and you're the only one who can affect a change. They want to make everything better, but there's nothing they can do. Yeah. How much does that mentality live with you
0: now after your recovery? Oh, 100, 150%. Um, As well as there's people that say to me, I don't believe that I could do what you did. And I look at them and say, I'm no different than you. The opportunities that everybody has to bring adversity Overcoming adversity to the table is in everybody. It's a choice. But you know how strong you can be because you face that. You were forced to deal with it. I was forced to be put in the situation. Hopefully nobody is forced to do what we did. Okay, truly. However, it's innate in each and every one of us. And that's kind of the message that I I have always wanted to, from the time I got out of the hospital, actually when I was in the hospital, giving people information and doing interviews and stuff and such, we did an interview on the Today Show while I was in my hospital room, and it was sharing every with everybody that the message was out in public that coronavirus um, only hurts the elderly, the obese. Uh, the medically challenged. Well, here's somebody that have I've had no pre-existing conditions in my life. I'm the healthiest person out there, but yet it hit me worse than anybody that's that's not here. You know, I got it worse than anybody today that's still alive. Which that is just
1: amazing. When you when you face that i mean cuz you're you're facing the dragon right i mean this is this is the dragon this is that proverbial dragon is part of the message to other people you know i mean you don't want anyone to get covid you don't want anyone to be in the situation that you that you're in but as a human being do we need to seek that kind of adversity not the same adversity not not on the verge of death but to stretch ourselves, to challenge ourselves, to put ourselves in a position where we don't know if we can be successful in order to force ourselves to adapt. I mean, can life get too comfortable?
0: You don't understand bliss until you've had adversity, in my opinion, because it's always, I always say in any relationship, it's not how well you get along. It's how well you don't. So how do you understand bliss if adversity never came into your world? It's like steak every night, filet mignon every night is just meat. <laughs> okay. So it's um it's just a it's a concept of And again, I hope nobody has to ever deal with this, Uh, but it's the happiest part of my life today that I've been in ever because I'm happier now. Granted, I wish I had my fingers back and I wish that this never happened to me. um, Absolutely. 100%. However, I'm happier now than I've ever been because I know more of who I am. I know more of an appreciation to every day. I've always lived every day with a purpose, but I live a little harder, love a little stronger.
1: You say you know who you are. Is who you are something that is solid or is it
0: something that's fluid? I, I think fluid because it it manifests and goes into all the cracks and crevices in life. Um, there's nothing... There's nothing, there's no hard stop in life. It's you, you, you flow through life and you have to adapt to the challenges that are put your way. Hopefully, less than more. However, people are capable up here to deal with anything. Like, I didn't understand how I could adapt to this. How do you grab things? How do you type? How do you drive? How do you tie your shoes? It's a little different, but it's achievable. And I, you know, I have 95 plus percent of my normal existence on a daily basis. I don't think twice about it.
1: What was, you just showed us your your hands and your fingers. What was that moment like? They came to you and said, the tissue is damaged beyond repair. We're going
0: to have to amputate, I assume, right? Uh, So they didn't tell me that in the very beginning. And what's really funny. Um, I was always under the, they didn't know that it was completely dead. So they, so they were definitely focused on me surviving, me walking out of the hospital, uh, there was nobody that was talking about my hands. Um, in fact, the one thing that I, I looked at AJ and I said, she goes, Well, do you need me to bring you anything? I said, I need a manicure. <laughs> and, she goes, and she looks at it and goes, Well, first of all, I'm getting one before you <laughs> because everything was shut down. <laughs> and, you know, the the reality was I did we didn't understand what what the opportunity that was in front of me because once i got out of the hospital that's when i went to the hand specialist and understanding what what is what to look for and in, in how that's going to happen um i i was so happy with being here that um i explored so many options prior whether it be prosthetics and all the other things that 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 I could be exposed to before I even had my surgeries. I've had 9 surgeries since I got out of the hospital on my hands with amputations and everything else and and you know plastic surgery and stuff like that. Um, and the beautiful part about this I've never had a day of pain
1: which you're 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 incredibly lucky in a lot of ways no. with that yeah, my doctors had no clue in the world why I didn't experience pain. and and, I mean, I've heard some things that that some of pain is is how we associate with that pain as well. You know, the, the it is sort of the story around around our pain, and I'm not an expert in that by any means, but
0: nor, nor am I
1: there There's a crazy spectrum of of what pain is and what pain does to us. And so when they said, this is what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to get rid of, of your fingers. We're going to have to take them off so that you can continue to be healthy.
0: Oh yeah. Were you just like, okay, yep. Let's do it. Let's do it. Next step. Because my fingers were dying. They were decaying and it was, um, and that's like gangrene. That's like, they stay the black, because it was, they were starting to curl mm -hmm. and, um, they were dying, and it was. They said they have to be removed because you want to be healthy, and I'm like, okay, let's do it. If I mean I, I haven't been able to use them in the, you know those few months, um, I go on to the next step so that I, I can live a more normal life.
1: Yeah, I mean, which which, which
0: makes sense
1: in so many ways. Because there are those thresholds. And you had a couple of thresholds, right? I mean, the the leaving the hospital threshold. I mean, you'd been there for 64 days. What was it like being surrounded by all of these people
0: and knowing that you were going home? Oh, that was incredible. So what when AJ was in the, in the hospital, she wanted to take me out to the garden a couple of days when I was in the middle there. And I literally said to her, um, no. I said, if I'm leaving this hospital, I will walk outside once and I'm not coming back in. I said, that's the motivation that I have to get there. And it was that mindset that that took place. I fought tooth and nail like every single day in therapy and everything else to get to that point so when i was being wheeled out i didn't want to be wheeled out of the hospital i was getting wheeled downstairs um and they i was supposed to walk out with a walker now i knew they were going to do something for me in the staff to you know a little celebration when i was leaving i had no understanding of what it actually was because you Um, weren't supposed to be leaving you were no i wasn't supposed to leave the hospital ever Yeah. You were going to go to a morgue. That was, that was the way that you'd leave. Oh yeah. 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 I was going to, I was going to go out in a body bag. Right. I mean, that was less than a 1% chance of survival. I was going out in a body bag. Right. So, um, when they actually found that I was going to be able to get, start getting better, um, that's when, you know, the, the Rocky moment was about, was taking place. And, um, Getting wheeled out and that elevator door opened and the, uh, the staff, because nobody was allowed in the hospital. Remember that. The staff were lining the hallways. And I was, and they were cheering, and it was like, t- you know, tears are rolling down my face of just gratitude for each and every person from the maintenance crew, the maids that would clean my room. Um, you know, they 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 were all there. They were crying which was so great because they didn't anticipate me walking out Um, and wheeling into the atrium where there were hundreds of people in the atrium standing up cheering. I looked up to the second floor and they were looking over on the second floor and everybody was around It was so crazy. Um, And then there were a couple hundred people outside of my friends and then every news media outlet that was out there, uh, which was kind of crazy. And, I'm sitting there and I looked at AJ and my sister and just said grab an arm. I'm walking out. Oh, and I get emotional every time I talk about this.
1: I'm sure could you make eye contact with the people in the crowd with the with the the people who worked at the hospital or or did
0: you have to be so laser focused on where you were going? I fist bumped every one of my doctors that were in that in that circle. And I acknowledged every single one of them before I got out of that chair. It was the most empowering feeling I have ever felt in my entire life. And you still were just
1: barely able to walk to the car with the support of your fiancé and your sister. Oh, yeah. This story started with you skiing. Uh Uh-huh. How did, when did you return to skiing and
0: what was that like? So three things, one, I wanted to, I wanted to survive. Two, I wanted to walk out of the hospital. I didn't want to be wheeled out. And three, I I made a commitment to myself that I was going to be able to ski by the end of the year. So May 8th, I walked out of the hospital, 2020, my doctors thought I was batshit crazy because they're like- Which is what it takes sometimes, right? Correct. And they didn't tell me this until afterwards. And when I say after, after I got back on skis. Um, So I fought so hard in my home therapy and everything else that December 11th, 2020, uh, I got back on skis and made my first set of turns. What did you have to do- therapy strength wise
1: the mental part of it i mean you you went from being as static as you can possibly be being in a coma in bed for 31 days to suddenly being on the top of the mountain how
0: how did you prepare your mind your body your soul for that moment so my mind was always ready to go without a doubt i had to keep you know my 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 mind was writing checks my body couldn't cash at that particular point. Um, and I, you know, I had to learn patience through this whole process and patience to getting to setting, uh, m- you know, macro, micro goals along the way, because I didn't want to set the goals for failure. I wanted to achieve daily, weekly, monthly goals. Um, and I met every one of them. And success again. Did I have setbacks? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But I had a team that was started with my physical therapist, and she's become family to us. These today, uh, we see her at least a couple times a week at, at, on a social level. Coming, having her come over for dinners and what have you. Um, and then I called my trainer that I that I used to train with. And he was like, I'm, I'm there. Let's, let's do this. And, um, three days a week, you know, we were doing strength training. We were doing agility training. Um, we were what kind of specifics.
1: What, 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 kind of stuff? I mean, are you doing like squats, are you doing, you know,
0: ladders or, well, it started off just really simple, just doing squats where there's no weight on your shoulders at all. Um, you know, we, it, mobility. It's, it's, we were definitely working with mobility. You can build muscle mass and everything else, but if you can't move, doesn't work. Um, so it was strength. It was strength training in a different sort of way. I mean, I was always like bodybuilding my whole life and, you know, lifting weights. It was a totally different concept because I couldn't lift weights with my hands. I couldn't use my hands. So, because I was bandaged up all this time and it got to the point where um, my my strength was coming back, and then push ups were one of my biggest things. I got my arms back because of doing push ups, and got my chest back. And it was, um, I I mean, I always have had. I mean, I've had you know strength in my arms. I had toothpick arms, so it just started coming back gradually with muscle memory. And all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute, I'm putting weight on, I'm putting strength on, uh, it's, it was getting better every single day. And then come December when ski season was coming around, I'm, I was ready to go. I couldn't get in my boots because I couldn't use my hands in, because it was still sensitive. Um, and, you know, buckling the boots and the clips and stuff, stuff like that, um, that I had to learn that level of frustration because somebody else was getting me in the boots, and as you know, you you know, as a ski racer, putting your boots on is the most important way to get to you know to make the comfort level of of skiing. Um, and I had to rely on others. And then um, my first, when I got on that lift, man, oh my God, tears are flowing out of my eyes um the 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 wind was blowing, the sun was out. And then once I started turning it, like i I don't ski with a pole in my right hand, which was a little weird. I ski with a pole in my left, um because I can hold a pole. And um, it was like I never missed a beat. It was just absolutely amazing. And then, um, I'm a big tequila drinker. um i I, I love tequila. And they were still waiting at the bottom of the hill with a bottle of La Familia uh, to, to, you know, to cheer our success of making that first run. And it was really cool because People Magazine covered it. The Mammoth Media team filled it, filmed it. That was really fun. And And so skiing is such a
1: different sport. Than everything else you do right you can be in the gym if you can run you know you can you can play soccer you can play tennis you can play basketball you can do whatever like but skiing you strap these long things onto your feet yeah and there's always that moment as you're going up the chairlift every year the first time you've done it i i, I assume for you i know there is for me that i think will i still be able to do this and you obviously had a much greater reason to bol- to ask that question of, will I still be able to do this? Did you have that question as you were going up the lift? And what was that surprise like when you realized
0: you could? Um, I got on my skis. I clicked into my skis and, you know, I did the old step, steps, right, left, right, right, left. And it felt really comfortable. Um, I didn't know how strong I really was physically to be able to make my turns. I was hoping <laughs> without a doubt, I was hoping, and you never know. You never know how you're going to do until your first two, three turns link together. And I, for me, it goes any single, at any time I get on the hill in the first, you know, the first run of the day, it's like, how are you going to, how are you going to be today? It's like, how are you going to feel today? this was a little bit of how am i going to actually do this and and how am i going to feel for the rest of my life in some ways right yeah and it's the it's getting back to that level of normalcy with my biggest passion in my sports life is skiing this is what makes me whole and th- this is what my ultimate goal was on my journey and this was to me, the utmost success of what i what I've accomplished now, um, my ski life it's always been aspiring to be better. I always ski with people much better than me um and it's you you always you're always humbled by those people that could do it that much better um and I love that. And it's like you're Tiger Woods takes golf lessons all the time. It's like he does, deals with his pro. You can always perfect your craft. And it's, I just wanted to make a couple turns to feel that normalcy again. And it was the best feeling in my entire life. It was so empowering to know that everything I fought for I won. It's like that gold medal, which I've never achieved, obviously, but, and it's like, I bow down to you for all your, all your success in the, what you've accomplished. But that was my gold medal moment. Most assuredly. And do you feel
1: more empowered, more qualified to continue to get better? Cause it, cause it is that elusive sense you're searching for the perfect turn like you're talking about tiger woods he's searching for that perfect golf stroke and it keeps you coming back right mm-hmm. every day do you feel more empowered now as a result of this experience to to be on that journey to be on that quest
0: absolutely and i i want to share with others because i just want them to know that we're not superheroes we're just normal people but your every adversity you have as an individual is traumatic to you. Whether it's, you know, getting up and, and learning how to walk again, or getting up and 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 learning how to drive your car for the first time, or ride your bike for the first time. Um, having relationship issues, every all of these things as individuals, it's traumatic to you. You can overcome anything. Adversity is a gift because it shows you what you're capable of. It shows you what you're capable
1: of and it, it arms you for the future. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, this is absolutely awesome, Greg. Thank you so much for talking us through your absolutely
0: incredible journey which hasn't ended. Oh God, no! I mean, we're still trying to work on putting a pole in my right hand. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be a matter of time. I, I, I think a matter of weeks. Right, Just
1: exactly, exactly. Right. Uh, but thank you so much. This is this has been absolutely wonderful, and and we have to learn from each other. I mean, we have to learn from your experience. We hope that nobody else has to go through your experience but we have to learn from your experience because it really is where we as human beings succeed. We get to watch you and we go, we as human beings, we did that. it's like, I wasn't there with with you in the hospital, but we as human beings did that because you've, you've demonstrated to us the capabilities that we have, the potential.
0: You know, it's, I I admire you for all that you've been through and, and how you have survived and thrived and, and, and achieved goals that, are inconceivable to me, which is amazing. I mean, Kilimanjaro, the fact that you did that, I mean, bow down my friend. I am so excited for the opportunity to ski with you. Yes. Um, I'm so honored at at being invited here, being able to talk to you about this. Um, So I thank you.
1: You're welcome. It is it is entirely my pleasure. And we will, yes, in about a month, we'll get a chance to ski together. So I'm looking forward to it. Very much looking forward to it. Well, thank you so much. And thank you to all of you for tuning in. I hope that you've enjoyed it. I assume that you have. The greatest gift you can give us is to tell your friends. Tell your friends to tune in, like us, follow us, please subscribe. And that will ensure that you'll get to see the next episode, the next great story. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us. Please subscribe to Chris Waddell Living It for more stories on the adaptive community, the Paralympics, artists, athletes, entrepreneurs, experts in the experience of being human. Also follow us on Spotify, Apple, Facebook, and Instagram. I look forward to seeing you next week.